when preaching or teaching on a controversial subject, it is wise to try to anticipate some of the questions and objections that the hearers may have. Paul had just taught that a person was not saved simply by being a Jew through physical descent or by going through the religious rite of circumcision. In Romans 2, 28 and 29, he said, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The teaching that a person was not saved simply through their ancestry or through circumcision would not have sat well with many of the Jewish leaders. It would naturally lead to a number of questions in the mind of those same Jewish leaders. And in Romans 3, 1 to 9, we have a plethora of questions. There was verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what value is there of circumcision? Verse 3. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? Verse 5. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? Verse 7. But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? Verse 9. What then? Are the Jews any better off? So we have all these questions that are raised in this particular portion of Scripture. These questions are addressed in a very cursory fashion, which will be dealt with at length in other portions of the book of Romans. It's important to understand that these are introductory questions that are raised and answered in a very, as I say, cursory fashion. But as you work your way through the book of Romans, we find each of these questions addressed at much fuller length. So next week, I'm not going to look at these next questions, but I'm going to skip to verse 9 and deal with the questions as they come up in the text later in the book of Romans, where they are dealt with much more fully. This morning, we are going to focus our attention on just verses 1 and 2. That is, then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. For unto them are permitted the oracles of God. I'll begin by looking at the reason for the question. As I said, Paul had just taught that being of Jewish descent and being circumcised is not saved from sin. And so he anticipates the most significant question that would have come to the Jewish mind at this point. And that is, well then, what is the advantage of being a Jew? Why is the Jew better off? In what sense is the Jew the chosen people of God? Why does it say, in Romans, that it is to the Jew first and also to the Greek? What is the advantage that the Jewish person has? The answer is given in verse 2. Much in every way. 
To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. So we are told that there are many advantages to having been Jewish and circumcised. For it says, much, much. The advantages were numerous. And the advantages were extensive. For it says, much in every way. Much in every way. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul does not enumerate what those many advantages were. Just says, they had a lot of advantages. But he doesn't tell us in this text what they were. He simply states that the advantages were myriad in variety and great in their extent. However, if we go to chapter 9, as I said, each of these questions that are raised are, are answered in much greater length later throughout the book of Romans. This question is dealt with in Romans chapter 9. Listen to these words. For I can wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So he's talking about physical Jews here. It says, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all. So there are about seven things that are listed as to the way in which the Jews had an advantage over the Gentile in the Old Testament. I will deal with those when we get to Romans chapter 9. Back to Romans chapter 3, simply stated is what is the greatest advantage. That's what he wants to focus on this morning. Not the plethora of advantages, but rather what is the greatest advantage. For notice it says in verse 2, much in every way, now these words to begin with, is the way the ESV translates it, NIV and NAS say first of all, and the King James says chiefly. Now this word could be translated as is in the NIV and the NAS, first of all, which would mean first in a sequence of reasons. But as I mentioned, no other reason is given in this particular context. Or it could mean first in the importance of reasons. And I would submit to you that that's the way we should understand it in this particular text. And that's why the, new, the King James translates it chiefly, chiefly. The most important reason. And when it says much in every way, this impacts all the other reasons. So that the great advantage is, in fact, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. It was the most important advantage that they possessed as being a Jew as opposed to a Gentile. Yes, it is true. God had fought for them in the land of Egypt, led them out by an outstretched arm, performed the miracle as they crossed the Red Sea, provided manna from heaven, saw to it that their clothes did not wear out, led them by a cloudy pillar uh, uh, by day and a fiery pillar by night. In short, they experienced in a myriad of ways the power and protection and provision of God. God had richly blessed the Israelites 
down through the ages. But the greatest benefit that they had was that they were blessed with the word of God. As a Jew, the word of God came to them first and for an extended period of time came to them alone. That was their advantage. They had the word of God. Now why this is important is Romans 3.1 is a transitional verse in the book of Romans. It is leading us to the future teaching in the book of Romans and concluding what has already been stated in chapters 1 and 2. So it is both the concluding and introductory statement. It is an included, a concluding statement as an appropriate summation of the argument of Romans chapters 1 and 2. Now if you go back and if you remember the material we've already covered, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or hold down or suppress the truth of God by means of their unrighteousness. So in Romans chapters 1 and 2, there was a lengthy uh, dissertation proving that all mankind had the truth of God to some degree. All of mankind had the truth of God that's revealed in creation. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are, that are made so that they are without excuse. So all mankind has the truth of God revealed in creation. They can see that there's a God. They can know that he is powerful. They can know that he is just. And they can know that he is eternal by looking at creation. And so they are without excuse in failing to honor him and give him glory and serving him. That's Romans chapter 1. Then you get to Romans chapter 2, and we find out that all men have the truth of God by means of their conscience. So Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest, thou condemnest thyself, for thou doest the same things. So we find out in Romans chapter 2 that all mankind has a conscience. And mankind can look at each other and find fault in the actions of others. Every one of us know that other people do things that are wrong. However, we do the very same things that we find fault in in others. Therefore, we should know that we do things that are wrong. We should be able to extrapolate. If they do it and it's wrong, well, it ought to be wrong when we do it. And so again, everyone is without excuse for failing to know that they have come short of what God expects of them. So they have the truth of God from creation, 
They have the truth of God from the conscience. But the Jew had the truth of God from his word. And that's a huge advantage. That is a great blessing. And we're also going to find out in the next verses that it's also a great condemnation. For they should have believed, they should have responded to that word. They should have been grateful, they should have rejoiced in the word that God had given to them. But they were of great advantage. For they weren't limited to what can be known from creation. They weren't limited from what can be known from their conscience. But they were given the great riches of the word of God. So they are indeed blessed. They are indeed blessed. It is also an introductory statement. For it is the foundation of everything that's going to come after Romans chapter 3 verse 1. We're no longer going to be looking at creation. And we're no longer going to be looking at the human conscience. But we're going to be focusing entirely in the book of Romans from now on on the word of God. It's going to be quoted. It's, it's going to be cited. It's going to be demonstrated how the gospel is founded in the word of God. And in particular the Old Testament. How it's consistent. How it's true. How it's valid. So the great advantage is that they have the word of God. But not only did the Jewish people have the advantage over the Gentiles in having the word of God, but we see that they were entrusted with the word of God. Notice verse 2. Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. This connotes that the scriptures were to be highly regarded, believed, and passed down through the generations. Again, this is a tremendous advantage. And it is the most significant blessing that can be imparted to have the word of God passed down through the generations. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy that Timothy has been entrusted with the gospel. Here is this same concept the same word, entrusted. They were entrusted with the oracles, which are basically the promises, the sayings of the word of God. And Paul says to Timothy, <clears throat> you've been entrusted with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes to Timothy and says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from a child you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What a blessing that Timothy had that from a child you had the sacred writings which were able to make you wise unto salvation. You had the blessings of a believing grandmother. You had the blessings of a believing mother. You had the blessings 
of having the word of God. The blessings that came from being Jewish was having an ancestry, a believing ancestry. And so you get to Romans chapter 4, and Romans chapter 4 says, what should we say then? Concerning Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh. What do we find out about him? That he was not saved by his works, he was not saved by his righteousness, he was saved by faith. They had this incredible heritage of faith that was passed down to them through the word of God. Thus, as we think of the progress of spiritual development today, the great advantage that we have as Christians and the greatest responsibility and opportunity for the church to be a blessing to its people is to provide them with a clear understanding of the word of God. You see, as we try to contemporize this passage and bring it into our experiences, for we are not Jewish for the most part, and we don't practice circumcision for the most part, what is its relevance to us? Well, the answer is that it's unfortunate that some people stumble at the same stumbling block, and that is that they think that they are right with God because their parents are believers. You're not saved because your parents are believers. You're not saved because you have been baptized as an infant. You're not saved because you engaged in some kind of ritualistic behavior. And you are not saved by going to church all your life. That is not the source of our salvation. So then we might ask the question, well then, what advantage is there to being brought up in a Christian home? What advantage is there of my parents being Christians if it doesn't save me? What advantage is there of going to church if it doesn't save me? What is the value of being involved in worship if it doesn't save me? That's the question that's being asked. Paul's answer is much in every way. And we could say to you, what are the advantages of being brought up in a Christian home? Much in every way. There's a myriad of advantages to being brought up in a Christian home. You're being prayed for. What a blessing that is. You're being cared for. You're being loved. You're being provided for. You're being disciplined. You're being instructed. We can go on and on and talk about the myriad of blessings that are to be associated with growing up in a Christian home. Or we could ask, well, what are the blessings of attending church? And again, we can say, well, they're myriad. There are a lot of blessings associated with being a part of a Christian church. You are a part of a fellowship. You're part of a community. You have people that are going to be encouraging you, praying for you, helping you, uh, that are, are going to be sources of, of good friendship, people that are treating you honestly and fairly and decently. And we can go on and on with all the advantages there are in being a part of a church and growing up in a church and worshiping in a church. 
But the greatest advantage of being brought up in a Christian home and being a part of a Bible-believing church is that you have the Word of God. That's the greatest blessing. So, as a family, we need to recognize that the greatest resource and the greatest blessing that we can be to our children is to provide them with what we uniquely possess, and that is the Word of God. To be instructing our children in God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Talking of God from the uprising to the down sitting. Teaching them all of the Word of God. And what is the most important provision that the church can make? What, what is it that we are about? Bottom line, what is the most important thing that the church can do for you? It's not the sports teams that we provide. It's not the fellowship meals on Sunday. It's not the all-nighters for the YF. The greatest blessing that the church can bestow upon you is a clear teaching of the Word of God. That's your benefit. That's your advantage. That's what you have over those that don't go to church and those who don't go to a Bible-believing church. Your advantage is you have the Word of God. We need to realize that as Christians today, we have an advantage over the Jewish people of the Old Testament. They were a blessed people. For they had the oracles of God. They had the promises of God. They had the sayings of God. They were entrusted with this word of God. But we have the word of God today in a greater way than even the Jewish people had in the Old Testament. First, we have the word of God in a greater way in terms of extent. They just had a portion of God's word, whereas we have the full revelation of God. There is a progressive aspect to the word of God. His word does not change, but his gospel plan is unfolded and made increasingly more clear with each passing portion of scripture. The word of God is fully disclosed to us so that we know the full mind and will of God. Concerning salvation, 1 Peter says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven. Things into which the angels long to look. Even the angels did not fully understand. You had the Ark of the Covenant that was in the most holy place. 
And on top of that, the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. That was the place where the blood was applied to make up for the sins that were committed because the commandments of God were broken, which were placed in the Ark of the Covenant. And on the top of that mercy seat, there were two angels with folded wings like this. And on the one end of the mercy seat, there was an angel that was focused and looking down. And on the other side of the mercy seat was an angel that was focused and looking down. And it pictured this desiring to look into the, the salvation that was about to be revealed. Isaiah 53 is such a, a wonderful portion of scripture. I love Isaiah chapter 53. And I love to preach it. But you know, the New Testament makes Isaiah 53 come to a life. It makes it so much clearer. It makes it so much more plain. We have the full revelation of the Word of God. We have the gospel made so plain to us. What an advantage that is. But we're also going to see it's also a source of condemnation if we don't believe it. So we have the word of God greater in terms of the clarity. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament saint did not readily distinguish the types and symbols of their worship. These are explained for us by the word of God and applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, it says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. It's the new covenant that's described in Jeremiah chapter 33. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least unto the greatest. In this new covenant, everybody who's a part of this new covenant is born again. And God is no longer whispering into our ears his truth. So that we then whisper into the, another person's ear the truth. As God spoke to Moses, and then Moses spoke to the people. Or God spoke to the prophets, and then the prophets spoke to us. But it says in this new covenant, everyone will know me, from the least to the greatest. I am sharing to you this morning the word of God which every one of you can go home and read. I'm not sharing any truth that God whispered in my ear this week. God has given me no vision. God has given me no new truth. God has not shared with any, anything with me that he hasn't shared with you. What we have this morning is the word of God. The word of God. And what an advantage that is. For the word of God reveals to us all truth. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. We have that word. We also have that word of God greater in a way of accessibility. The Old Testament saint did not have access to the word of God to any large measure. Prior to the time of Moses, there was no written word of God. Even after the time of Moses, few individuals had scrolls made available to them, and those who did 
have scrolls, rarely had a complete set. What a blessing that we have access to the Word of God. I appreciate missionary endeavors. I must admit there is one that's very precious to my heart, and that's the work of, of Wycliffe, Bible translation. I ever thought if I was going to be a missionary, that's what I would do, Bible translation. For there, to me, is no greater gift that you can give a person than the Word of God in their language. What a blessing that we have to be in the church in America. And as you think about the blessings of being a Christian in America, again, they're myriad. We aren't suffering persecution. We can gather whenever we want. We can worship the way that we want. But the greatest blessing that we have in being in the church in the United States of America today is <clears throat> the accessibility that we have to the scriptures. We have the Bible. We have the Bible in a myriad of translations so that at every reading level, whether, you're, whether you have just begun to read at, verse, at six years of age, there's a Bible for you. Obviously watered down, obviously shorter, but there are elements of the Bible. There are Bibles that are written at, three, at third grade levels, sixth grade levels, 10th grade levels, high school graduate levels. We have the Word of God in many different translations. Not only do we have many translations, but we have such accessibility to those translations. Most people have not just one Bible, but two or three Bibles. But in the generation that we live, <laughs> the electronic devices, we can have the Bible on our phone. I've got six different Bibles on my phone. I've got a Bible app on my phone that's got over a thousand books on it. It's, it's amazing on our phones, on our computers, on our iPads, on our electronic devices. We have access to the Word of God. There's never been a generation like ours that's had accessibility to the Word of God. What a blessing! And we're going to find out next week, what a reproach if we don't avail ourselves of that. How guilty we're going to be with all the accessibility that we have to the Word of God for having ignored it, for having not paid attention to it, for not having believed and obeyed it. We have the Word of God in an audible form. If you can't read, you can listen. The greatest blessing is to have the Word of God. So this morning, as we think of this, this text, and we think about the fact that a person is not saved through their ancestry or through their religious affiliation or duties. Well, what advantage is there in being quote unquote religious? Answer, the advantage is you have the word of God.
you have the Word of God. And with the Word of God, you have source to all the other blessings of God. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle to the Ephesians, grace to you in peace from God our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us in the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, through which he hath made known to us. He makes known to us the riches of his grace through his word. And those riches include all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. What is our access to those spiritual blessings? Faith in Christ through his word. What an advantage. Let us rejoice in this incredible privilege we have to have the word of God. And I say to you this morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your savior, don't, don't, don't ignore the truth you have from the word of God. For you know more than that person out there that only can look into the heavens and understand God from creation. You have more truth than the person who simply relies upon their conscience in trying to discern good and evil. You have the full revelation of the mind and will of God in his word. What an advantage. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the great advantage that we possess of having the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the great advantage that many of us had in growing up in a Christian home where the word of God was believed and taught, where it was modeled to us by parents and grandparents, where we saw the living truth exemplified and we were appointed to the scriptures as the source of truth. Lord, we thank you that we've had the privilege of attending a Bible-believing church where every Sunday the word of God is proclaimed, explained, shown to us so that we might embrace it and trust it and believe it and to live it. Lord, thank you for the blessings that we enjoy. Help us to be mindful of those that don't have those same blessings. Lord, I, I do thank you for the work of Wycliffe and other Bible translations uh, teams. I thank you, Lord, for missionaries that are taking the word of God to places that are unreached and unknown. Oh, Lord, help us to realize what a privilege we have and uh, Understand that the book of Romans teaches, how shall a man believe unless they have heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless one be sent? Uh, Lord, uh, send forth your word, I pray, into the uttermost parts of the earth. Help us to recognize our responsibility in this great task. But today, uh, Lord, may we not diminish the blessedness that we have. May, may we stop and consider how unique the generation is in which we live, that we have such full and complete access to your word. Thank you, Lord, for that blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.